everyone. I'd like to welcome everybody in this new year at each of our campuses. We're so glad that you're here, and happy new year to everyone. You know, I read about and actually watched a YouTube a video on this as well, which you can easily uh, Google and find. Strayer University did a very interesting study some time back about people's regrets. I find this provocative. What these students did who conducted the study, they went to a New York park down in New York City, and they put a big, big chalkboard out there, and at the top of it, in pink chalk, they wrote, write your biggest regret. That was the instruction, just at the top of the board. And then they left all these different colors of chalk for people to just, whoever wanted, to come along, grab a piece of chalk, and just start writing their biggest regret on the chalkboard. It's interesting. They just kind of left it there all day long. And students kind of stood out of the way and just made sure there was plenty of chalk for people to write with. They kept recording the answers, kept erasing the board when it got filled and so on. And it's interesting some of the things that people wrote. What's your biggest regret? Not saying I love you. Not saying I'm sorry, not giving her another chance, not asking for help sooner. Now, these are not all one person, of course. These are many people writing these things. Uh, Not speaking up, not spending more time with my family, staying in my comfort zone, uh, not being a more attentive husband, not applying to medical school, not being a better friend, not making a move. And so the students found it rather overwhelming, the amazing outpouring of of participation in this study. But they kept seeing this one word pop up over and over again in the responses. Did you catch the word? It's the word, yeah, not. It's the word not. And I find that pretty significant. Regrets tend to be about words not spoken, decisions not made, open doors not walked through, opportunities not taken, resolutions not kept. By the way, that's consistent with what senior citizens say. There have been a number of studies with octogenarians and people in their 90s asked to look back over their long life and what is the thing you regret the most? And consistently, senior citizens will talk about, I regret that I didn't take more appropriate risk. I regret that I didn't follow that dream, that I didn't go through that open door of opportunity. So as we start this new year, I think it's a great time for us to Spend a little while talking about what we want to be different. And that's why we're beginning this new series today called Turn It Around. I'm convinced that all of us, all of us, no matter our age or what's happened to us in the past, all of us have some things that we'd love to turn around in our life. But the big question, of course, is how. So that's what I want to talk with you about this weekend, and then the next. And I just want to let you know in advance that next weekend, and I've not really shared this yet, but next weekend, we're going to have a marvelous time for prayer 
And I'm just going to urge you to respond to that. And, and we'll explain a number of ways that you can do that next weekend. I think it's going to be exciting. I know God is going to use that time powerfully. And I believe this is going to be a life-changing series for many. So with that in mind, I'm going to begin reading in Luke chapter 5. I know, I know, you thought you were finished with Luke. I get it. I get it. But just one more week in Luke. This is a passage that we looked at some months ago. But today I want to take a completely different angle and look at this great passage. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, now just for you hardcore Bible students, the lake of Gennesaret has three different names in Scripture. It's called the Sea of Tiberias in John's Gospel, and it's called the Sea of Galilee in other places, okay? All the same body of water. Here it's called the Lake of Gennesaret. These were real names that it had, and different groups of people called it by different names. So they're by the Lake of Gennesaret with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God. You get the scene, don't you? People are intrigued by Jesus. They they're beginning to wonder, who is this teacher who teaches like no one else? We actually understand him. It's kind of awesome. He says things that make our hearts burn and our minds more curious and more hungry for the things of God. There's only one problem. There's so many people gathering, they're having trouble hearing him. So he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. Now, these fishermen are exhausted. They're ready to go home and crash. They've been fishing for hours. That is not easy work. But now they're being responsible, like responsible fishermen would do, and they're getting their gear ready to put away. They're washing their nets so they'll be ready to use the next time. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Now, this is the Simon, the one that we know sometimes as Simon Peter or just as the Apostle Peter. But this, at this point, he's not really a committed follower of Jesus. He knows him. In fact, Jesus has already healed at this point. They're just friends. Simon's probably listened to Jesus teach a few times. But Jesus has healed Simon's mother-in-law. Now, I don't know if that made them closer or not, okay? If you get my drift there. But at any rate, they know each other. And so Jesus feels comfortable just saying, hey, can I use your boat for a little bit? And so all the scholars agree, the reason he went out a little bit from the shore is so he could use this natural amphitheater here. He could use the natural acoustics of his voice kind of bouncing off the water so that the people would be able to hear him. When he finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. I've often wondered how Simon heard that. Have you ever been in a situation where you were an acknowledged expert in something? You really had a lot of experience in that and you were really good at it. 
but someone comes along who's kind of brand new, and they're actually trying to tell you how to do your job, how does that feel when you're in that situation? If that's ever happened to you, you know, it's easy to get defensive, right? And to start thinking, well, wait a minute, who are you to tell me? And I don't know if Peter experienced that here, but there must have been at least a little part of Simon Peter when Jesus starts giving him fishing instructions here that's thinking, hey, bro, stay in your own lane, man. Hey, Jesus, let's just get something straight. I'll leave the teaching to you you leave the fishing to me. Just stay in your lane. I don't know if he thought that. But I'll tell you this. There's a lot of that thinking today in the church when Jesus starts giving instructions. Have you ever seen it? Hey, Jesus, I know you really know a lot and you're, lot and you're really cool and everything. And I really like you on the weekends. But don't start meddling with my love life. Hey, Jesus, you know, I, I know you really know a lot, but don't start telling me how to use my money. Stay in your lane, bro. Hey, Jesus, you know, I, I, I know that you've done some amazing things, and I honestly, I really do appreciate you, but Jesus, don't start telling me how to live my life. That kind of thinking, that attitude is honestly alive and well in the world today and even in the church and so, I don't know if Peter had any of these thoughts, but we do see in verse 5 that he answered. It says, Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. Ooh, I wish we knew Peter's tone. Did he roll his eyes? Did he kind of huff? All right. Did he, did he have an edge about his voice? Did he get sarcastic? Did he hope that Jesus would say, ah, oh, oh, no, on second thought, I know you guys are exhausted. Just, just get on out of here and go home. I know you need to rest. We don't know. But one thing we know for sure is that Simon Peter obeyed. He took Jesus at his word, and he said those words, because you say so. I will let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full, they began to sink. Now for fishermen like these guys, this must have been a blast. They went from being super bummed to super blessed. They went from utter dejection of catching nothing to the delirious joy of having a lifetime catch. They're celebrating. They're slapping high fives or whatever the equivalent was in their culture. They have a fish story they're going to tell around the campfires for the rest of their lives. Wow. Now think with me. How dramatically things have turned around for them. For these guys, to fish all night and catch nothing is not just annoying, it's tragic. If you were to go fishing and catch nothing, it's just frustrating, a little bit annoying, but it's not tragic. You still got food to eat tonight. 
You still got money in the bank probably. Your life goes right on. But for these guys, this is their livelihood. They need fish to sell in the market. This is a big deal. So think of the turnaround here. As the night ends, they're deeply discouraged. But then Jesus comes and they have reason to celebrate. I think there's a little, at least a minor lesson here for us. Think about this. If they had not experienced the disappointment of fishing all night and coming up empty, they would not have appreciated the deliverance that Jesus brought. It wouldn't have meant as much. Oh, sure, it would have been fine if Jesus had joined them the evening before when they first went out fishing and fishermen often fished at night because it was a whole lot cooler and they were often able to just get more fish. It's just the way it worked. And they could escape the heat of the day, which was often oppressively hot. (laughs) And that would have been cool. Let's suppose Jesus did a miracle just in the night, in their normal fishing. They would have celebrated that. It would have been exciting. But because they went through the huge disappointment, the miracle meant more, honestly. They saw his power and appreciated it in a whole different way. They saw the huge difference that Jesus makes. And by the way, this is a huge theme in Peter's life. I challenge you. If you dare to study his life throughout the scriptures and all the passages that speak of Peter, and there are many, this is kind of a big theme in his life that this time doesn't have to be like the last time. Because as wonderful as Peter was as a leader, as a disciple, as a teacher, he made a lot of mess ups. And Peter has this major theme running through his life. Look, your past doesn't have to disqualify you. This time doesn't have to be like the last time. And I think that's a message that a lot of us need to hear. Because some of you have thrown your nets out year after year and you've come up empty. And so maybe this year you don't even bother throwing your nets out. Because you think it's not going to change for me. I've tried before, I've cast my nets out there, I've done all I know to do, I failed the last time, and I'm going to fail this time, so I'm not even going to worry about it now. This is just the way things are for me. And you may be one more experience away from receiving the most transformative blessing from God you've ever had in your life. But that's why a lot of people quit. They're just so dejected thinking that their past has got to define their future. I wonder if Peter were standing here today in the flesh talking to us. I wonder what he would say to us about 2019. I think one of the things he would say is, hey, if you got Jesus in the boat with you, 2019 can be very different than 2018. Hey, if you got Jesus in the boat with you, let me tell you from personal experience, I think Simon Peter would say, he can turn it around for you. He did for me and my buddies. I think he would give personal testimony about the difference that having Jesus in the boat with them made. Now, I want to say something to some of you because I sense 
every new year that there's some cynicism, skepticism, dejection, pessimism among a lot of people because just like these fishermen, you've toiled and toiled trying to turn it around. You've given it your best. You honestly have. There's not even a question. You've worked hard. You've given it the best shot you can in your own strength. You've tried to make life work out for you. But just like them, you've come up empty. My question for you is simply this. Was Jesus in the boat with you in 2018? I mean, was he, was he really there? Not just present in the boat, but were you? You're really listening to him as he gave direction, as he called the shots in your life. Was Jesus there in the boat? Because he is the difference maker. And when you drill down a little bit more here and really examine what happened, I think there are four words that, that Peter said, four words that, make, that made all the difference for him. Did you catch those words? Verse 5 Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But here are the four words, and I really want you to zero in on these words in our first weekend together in the new year, because I think this is amazing. Because you say so. Those four words will change your life. Those four words, if you... Grab a hold of that and take that as your words and really live that. Those four words will change your life. Jesus, because you say so, I will do this. Jesus says, look, go out into the deep, cast your nets. Peter says, hey, Jesus, we're kind of pros here. This is what we do, man. And I'm telling you, we've worked hard all night. But Jesus, I don't think this is going to work. I, I, I don't want to do this. I, I, I think this is a bad idea. I honestly believe we're wasting our time. We just got our nets washed. We don't want to do this. But because you say so, I'll do it. So do you want a motto for 2019? Have you picked a motto yet? Have you picked a guiding mantra for your 2019? I would, I would nominate this one. I would recommend these four words as your 2019 motto, because you say so. Make it a because you say so year. Now, I want to be sure you know what I mean by that. It means... That in 2019, you would not be making decisions just because you feel that way about it or because you're just, through your own casuistry and the best you can do, choosing your direction based on your desire, but rather it would be based on what the Lord says. Hey, can we huddle up for just a moment here? Be careful before you say yes to that. Just, we're just huddling up just a minute here at all of our campuses just for everyone who, who really might, might possibly take that seriously. Don't do it so quick. That 
is a hard decision. That's not an easy decision for people who are accustomed to just running their own lives any way they want to. That is a life changer, right? That's a game changer. To say, I'm gonna have a because you say so kind of life. Let me speak to the parents for just a minute as an illustration. Parents, do you wanna frustrate your kids? Do you? Let me tell you how. You wanna frustrate your kids? When your kids ask permission for something and you say no and they say why, you know those next famous words, right? When they ask permission and you say no and then they ask, well, why? And you say famously, because I say so. Our parents did it to us and we get the joy, <laughs> the joy of inflicting that on our children. That's frustrating. They want an explanation. They want a reason. They don't want to guarantee that, okay, what if I do what you say? What's in it for me? Kids want a quid pro quo system, I'm telling you right now. We all do. But let's suppose that Jesus had gone there with Simon Peter. Let's suppose his words had, had been like this. They weren't, but let's suppose he put it to him like this. Look, I know you're kind of bummed right now because you've had a bad night. I know you've worked hard. I know you've really been sweating it out out there. But look, I will make you a written guarantee, Peter. <laughs> Quid pro quo. Look, if you will just do exactly what I say, here's specifically, exactly a written guarantee of what exactly I will do for you. Quid pro quo. This for that. But that's not the way it works, is it? It's obedience by faith and then the blessing. And that element of faith is what makes it so hard. So let's be crystal clear about one thing before we go any further in this story. Jesus didn't need Peter's boat. He did. He could have walked out on the water. He did it other times. He could have walked out on the water and just stood there on the water and taught. He didn't need Peter's boat. But Peter needed to participate in this miracle so that he could learn that Jesus always knows more than you do. And that's a key if you're going to have a because you sake so kind of faith. So if you decide in 2019 that you're going to adopt <laughs> that little motto, if you will, and say, this is going to be a because you say so, Lord, kind of year. I'll tell you one of the upsides. It's hard to do that, as I've already said, but one of the upsides is, honestly, it takes some pressure off. Because, honestly, there's a lot of pressure when you're the general manager of the universe or when you're the general manager of your own life. There's a lot of pressure when you're just trying to figure out what's best in your own eyes and, and doing kind of what you want to do. But when you say, no, Jesus, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what you say. I'm going to do what the Bible prescribes. Oh, what freedom that brings. And I'll bet some of you don't believe that. But I'm here it's telling you, and I believe there's people all around you who have adopted that 
I'm just going to do what the Lord says by faith and trust him in this. They would tell you there's awesome freedom in that. And by the way, that's one of the paths to deep maturity in Christ. (laughs) You know, it's interesting that most people have trouble believing that because they think that real freedom is doing whatever you want to do. Living any way you want to live, doing what you want to do when you want to do it. And most people believe that freedom is, look, I'm going to make, here's my New Year's resolution. I'm going to eat whatever I want to eat when I want to eat it. That isn't going to work well. It's not, I'm telling you, if that's your resolution, it isn't going to work well. In fact, we've got a name for people who live that way. People who think that freedom is just whatever I want to do, I'm going to do it. And if there's something I think I should do, I'm just going to say, no, I don't want to do it. Because I don't feel like doing it. You know what we call those people? Two-year-olds. <laughs> Two-year-olds. That's what children do. It's a hard reality, but it doesn't work if you just live the way you want to live. So what would it look like for you? For some of you, it might mean this. God, I'm going to create a budget for the first time in my life and actually live responsibly within that budget because you say so, stewardship is important. For some of you, it might mean, you know what, I'm gonna adopt a few practices in my life, a few habits where I'm actually gonna, for the first time in my life, since I was a little baby maybe, get enough sleep at night and some exercise. Because you say so, yeah, my body's the temple of the Holy Spirit, so because you say so, I'm gonna take that seriously for the first time. Some of you might need to say, because, I, because you say so, Lord, I'm gonna move out from my girlfriend's house. Because you say so, I'm gonna, for the first time in my life, actually seek to become a generous person because you said it's more blessed to give than to receive, and because you say so, I'm going to take that seriously and let that become like a guiding principle in my life. It might look like for you, Lord, I didn't give up on my marriage in 2019, even though I wanted to, because I didn't really believe that love could ever be rekindled. But because you say so, because you put such an emphasis on the sacredness of marriage, I'm not going to give up quite that easy because you say so. I urge you to start this year with that spirit of submission to God because you say so. Those words are hard to get out, so I think we ought to practice them actually. Can you practice them with me? At all of our locations, I want you to say those four words with me on the count of three. You know what the four words are? Because you say so. So let's try it because you're going to have lots of opportunities in the coming days If you become this kind of a person, you're going to have lots of opportunities to practice this, but but we need to get started right now. So on the count of three, let's say it out loud, and I mean really loud. Can you do it? Can you do it? On the count of three, one, two, three, because you say so. Good. That sounded great. But you know, it's kind of easy to be generic about that. That didn't make you sweat. Only a couple of you. No. No. When it makes you sweat is when you get context. 
when you really drill down in a specific situation. So I want us to practice now a few scenarios if you feel so led. There's no pressure here. If you don't want to say this, that's, that's up to you. But we're going to say, because you say so together on a few specific things. Here's one. Jesus, I don't want to confess my sin. I'd rather keep it secret. Quite frankly, it's embarrassing. But because you say so, Jesus, I don't want to forgive him. I don't feel like forgiving her. Not after what he did, not after what she said, but because you say so. Yeah. Jesus, I don't feel like being generous and giving joyfully of the resources that you've given me. It just seems like an awful lot to ask, Lord. But because you say so, yeah. Hey, here's one just for the husbands. Just the husbands now. Just the husbands. Just you married guys. I don't feel like sacrificing for my wife and putting her needs above mine, but because you say so, oh, that was weak. Wow. <laughs> Woo. That was so weak. It's like I lobbed you a slow softball, guys. It's right over the plate, right there. All you got to do is swing. Let's try that one again, all right? Let's try that one again with a little more passion this time, all right? Just the husbands, just the husbands. I want to hear from you at all of our locations. I don't feel like sacrificing for my wife, loving her like you love the church, putting her needs ahead of my own desires, but because you say so, yeah, all right, wives, are you ready? Are you ready, wives? Here's one for you, just the wives, just the wives. I don't feel like respecting my husband. I'll respect my husband when he deserves respect. I don't feel like putting his needs above my own. But because you say so, are you ready to live that kind of life? You see, I don't know about you, but when I look back at 2018, I have some regrets. There's some opportunities that I feel like I missed. There's some times when I feel like, wow, what was I thinking? How could I have missed that clear opportunity? But I'm committed to the belief that with Jesus in the boat with me, 2019 doesn't have to look like 2018. It can be far better. He can turn it around. And for me, I don't know about you, 2018 was awesome. It had so many blessings, but I expect that God can turn it around even when it's good, even when it's decent, and make it better. He can repair the damage of the past when we begin to submit our lives and our decisions to him. So these fishermen are ecstatic. Their nets are bulging, and at some point, Peter just gets overwhelmed, and verse 8 reads, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' feet, or at his knees rather, and said, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Think about that. He's in the boat. He's in the boat. And all around him are fish flopping. <laughs> Just flopping. Fish flopping. 
It is a vivid reminder to Peter, you gave it the best you could. You came up empty. But when you adopted a because you say so mentality, wow. Look at this. And it was overwhelming to Peter. So he repents and he confesses, I am sinful. And repentance literally, metanoia means a turnaround. That's literally what that means. Let's let that mark our new year, a change in thinking, turning it around, confessing, I am sinful. And when we do, he repairs, he redeems, he restores, he rebuilds. Peter says, I'm a sinful man. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Think about that. They started the day as fishers of fish. They ended the day as fishers of men, a whole new path, disciples of Jesus. And it says they left, they left their nets, they left their boats, they left their business, they left the fish, apparently, in order to follow Jesus. What a turnaround. But as we close today, I want you to flash forward about three years. Simon Peter has now become a trusted disciple of Jesus. He's actually a, sort of a leader among the others. He's uh, pretty outspoken. He even vows at one time that although everyone else may deny you Jesus, I never will. How many of you know that sometimes our talk can be a little better than our walk? Yeah. And in the heat of the moment, when the pressure is on, Simon Peter denies three times Jesus. In fact, he swears on penalty of hell that he even knows the man. He swears he doesn't know him and that he's not a disciple. And then he sees Jesus and he goes out and weeps bitterly, broken over his sin. But do you remember what happened after that? After all the dust kind of settles Peter actually thinks his days of following Jesus are over, apparently. And he says, I'm going to go back fishing again. And he goes back to the same sea, Lake of Gennesaret, Sea of Galilee, same body of water where he'd had this experience three years earlier. And he goes fishing. And somebody on the shore, we don't know if it was 50 yards away, 70 yards, it was too far to see clearly, but but close enough that you could hear the voice. Hey, guys, caught anything? No, 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 thanks for asking. Hey, guys, uh, fellas, uh, why don't you cast your nets on the other side of the boat? Who's that telling us what to do? And Simon Peter cast those nets on the other side of the boat, and they can't contain the fish, and suddenly... He has a memory of three years earlier when the same kind of thing had happened and he knows who that is on the shore. He can't wait for the boat to get there. He dives out of the boat and he swims to shore soaking wet, out of breath and Jesus three times asks him, do you love me? And three times he affirms that he does and Jesus says, feed my sheep. 
and he gives Simon Peter, who had failed him so horribly, a whole new commission of ministry. What Jesus is saying is your denials do not disqualify you. Your past does not have to define your future. This time, Peter, doesn't have to be like the last time. You are not beyond repair. I still have a plan for your life. And that's what Jesus wants to say to you as well. Can we pray together, please? Father, thank you. The amazing story of Simon Peter. We see ourselves in this story. And Father, I know you want to say the same thing to so many listening right now. Your past doesn't disqualify you. What happened then doesn't have to determine what happens now. You are not beyond repair. When I'm in the boat with you, you can turn this thing around. May those be life-giving words, words of freedom to scores and scores of people who have the ears to hear. Breathe life, breathe freedom, bring forgiveness. May repentance be the attitude as we enter this new year so that you can truly turn it around for us. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.